Hello everybody around the world and thank you for joining this episode of Wiki Update. My name is Jesse Asidua Krofi, but the community calls me Jay Wale. In today's episode of Wiki Update, we'll be having the Branch Magazine edition. Talking about the Branch Magazine, the Branch Magazine is an online magazine written by and for people who dream of a sustainable and just internet for all. And within the Branch Magazine space, anyone can access its resources. Technically, it's open to anyone who is interested in contributing and also accessing resources from their space. Now, in this episode of Wiki Update, we'll be speaking to an amazing personality from the Nigerian space. She's in the person of Euphemia Owando. Euphemia is a climate activist, tech enthusiast, educationist, and also someone who is passionate about activities in the Wikimedia ecosystem. Now, she is here for us to have a conversation on how we can reimagine how the open movement can widen the participation, creation, and assessing of solutions to climate action. Can you stay tuned in and listen as we have a wonderful conversation? Okay, Euphemia, thank you for joining this episode of Wiki Updates. You are welcome. Thank you, Jess. Okay, so um, kindly give a brief introduction of yourself. Okay, so my name is Euphemia Owandu, and um, I'm from Nigeria. I'm an environmentalist and uh, a Wikimedian uh, who works in the nonprofit sector and had previously worked in academia. Okay. Um, so, um, in, in today's episode of Wiki Updates, uh, we are in partnership with the Branch Magazine. And we are looking at a topic in, in the climate open space. And the topic is reimagine how the open movement can widen participation in creating and assessing solutions to climate issues. I'd like to mm. find out what's your take on this topic. Well, I think it's one that we definitely need to have a strong conversation about because um, it is very important that we start rethinking how we are doing these things. Um, I would say that communicating available data, information or knowledge, um, knowledge about this problem in this context, climate crisis, is a strong form of advocacy you know, that enables us to understand the state of the problem, its dynamics, or, and what is being done about it across space and time. Now, this form of advocacy is the only thing that can transform into meaningful action. You know, when people are able to see and understand what is true and not about the information that is out there, and um, how familiar they are with such information on the basis of their experiences and also maybe how it is solved or can be solved when encountered. But then when we also look at it in that manner, um, it's also about how such information is communicated. I mean, clear communication is very important. There was a Guardian publication in 2019 that made reference to the language we use about the environment. 
in that publication, they were explaining that um, the term climate change is better uh, replaced with climate crisis and uh, global warming with global heating. And um, I, I will tell you why all that makes a lot of sense. You know, when we use the word change, um, it doesn't really communicate clearly the extent of the problem we are looking at. I mean, to people, change is a constant thing. And sometimes it's well received, especially when uh, you know, it comes with a positive outcome. And when that word is being said, except it's being explained, we will never get to know whether it's of a positive nature or a negative nature. But when you say crisis, people begin to understand the scope of the problem we are looking at. You know, caution begins to come to them as a necessary, you know, measure we must all take. And they begin to see the need to take immediate action. Similarly, with when you use um, warming, at least to a layman, um, warming doesn't sound like something that will be harmful to them. You know, you know, we, we can liken that, for example, to maybe when we're talking about warm water or warm food. It, it doesn't communicate that being in contact with this or anything of this nature can harm us. But when you talk about heating or heat, people understand immediately that this is not good news. You know, this is something that will harm us and all of that. So, and mm -hmm. this is why we, we begin to see, you know, some reason in that uh, change in the way we talk about these things, because the way we communicate them is definitely going to build um, a lot of, um, we determine what kind of responses we emanate from it, whether it will be positive or, or negative. But um, aside from also um, the clear communication thing, we also need to pay attention to the channel of communication because that is also another um, important thing. And we might begin to ask ourselves certain questions around, do we communicate this only on print where those who are not literate might not benefit from it? Do we communicate it in certain languages where um, only the speakers can um, benefit from it? And this speaks a little to what we are doing on Wikipedia that is you know, available in plus languages. And outside of that, other of the open platform, we begin to even ask ourselves that question, how many of them are available and in what languages are they available in? Then we might also begin to bring our attention to whether we culturize this thing, understanding that there are certain information of importance or urgent need that are communicated in certain ways in some locations. For example, in most part of Nigeria and Africa at large, at least in the past, I don't know for now if that is still um, applicable now, where people understand that information that is conveyed by the town crier signifies that of urgent importance and action. How do we even communicate the raw data that, you know, the raw um, climate data. Uh, maybe saying that 28% of a population 
or 200,000 people killed by a severe flood might not make sense to a rural woman who does not have familiarity with such kind of information. But maybe relating that to the size of a community and maybe saying uh, maybe the size of three communities you know, were wiped out will help them to understand uh, the looming danger uh, we might have in that. Then we also talk about another critical one here, which is a collaboration. And attending this is something that seems to be a mirage because um, at some levels, solving the climate crisis seems to be considered um, their work rather than our work, for example. Okay, so um, for example, to some people in the um, academia, for example, in the global south and most uh, part of Africa, they think to themselves uh, that their work um, is to discharge their institutional duties. One of which is to conduct research, but is also about competing favorably in the academic space which they see in terms of the highest number of publications, uh, dividends they get from such publications monetarily and award-wise. And where they will not get this, they will prefer to really stash acts because than sharing it freely because they believe that sharing it freely will make our people to use their um, efforts commercially. And this is also similar to some other people and um, even cultural institutions where they also say to themselves that people have to pay to have this knowledge because um, the money is really what keeps them going. And they also feel that the re their relevance comes from holding this information or at least being within their own space where you have to walk in and maybe call on them, you know, to assess uh, these in, um, informations because they build profits without even understanding that there are many profits that could come from opening up such information. We, we see them most oftentimes, they don't ask the question around how can the information or research we can provide help to solve the climate crisis because they as the job of someone else, whoever it might consign. And okay. with that understanding that every man to uh, his own job. Okay, so um, that's pretty much awesome concerning whatever you've said so far. Um, I'd like to know, can, can, can you give uh, some sense or some form of data in the global and local perspective um, in relation to um, what you discussed so far relating to climate. Okay, so um, I know that. I think, um, I think earlier on you mentioned some data, uh, but that wasn't kind of very specific. It was kind of general. But this data that you can give, you can probably uh, give it in a specific way so that our audience can uh, know what kind of data you are bringing on board concerning climate. Um, so right now, I, I really want to like, it's just speak to data, but I just wanted to also relate this to what I have said earlier, and okay. then also um, to how it could also apply to data. 
I want okay. to call your mind or to talk about an incident that happened in Nigeria in, I think, 1988. It's called the Kokutozik West Incident. That incident wow. that happened in, a, I think, in Delta State, Nigeria. And okay. at that time, it happened when Nigeria was still at a low level of environmental awareness or consciousness. And it, at the time, Italy had um, little means of processing their um, produced toxic waste. So around that time, Nigeria made the headlines because of a story around how a rural man or a rural uh, sorry, local called Sunday Nana uh, made an agreement with two Italian firms to pay him 100 USD per month to store about 18,000 drums of hazardous waste. And at this time, it, it was concealed as if they were building materials and it was really packed in his yard or his lot. People who were aware of it thought they were um, building materials as they were told without knowing that these were really toxic waste that can be very um, dangerous to the residents of that small community and even their environment as a whole. And when at this time, this thing was there until you know, it started killing people and causing um, problems. That was the time but it was, um, um, but that's not the point I'm trying to make with the whole um, story. So the point I'm trying to make with the whole story is not um, about the incidents, but the point I'm trying to make about it is how the incidents got to people's attention, including the government at that time. It was through the Nigerian students who were in Italy that learned about the West dumping cocoa and alerted the media. So at this time, this would definitely be true all channels of media, whatever media must have meant to them at that time. I will tell you what I mean by that uh, statement. Um, I would say that in the past, at least um, in, 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 in Nigeria then, and maybe most part of Africa, um, media to them then means print newspapers and radio mostly because most homes could afford this. And this is how. In a family where we have at least one literate person, if the father or the son or the uncle goes to work, he's sure to come back with one of the daily papers to have a sense of what is happening in his locale. And when he does come back, he reads it and tells the story in his own language to his family, probably to his wife, who could be in the kitchen making meal for the family or serving meal, and the children who could be uh, in the kitchen or even with the domestic choice. And when the children go out to play, they tell their friends about what the dad read in the newspaper, and the friends take it home to their families saying, this is what our friend's dad read on the newspaper. And this is how this information keeps being disseminated onto every nuke and cranny of that community. Guess, 
But um, media in this time seems to be, you know, a bit different from what it, it, it might have meant then. Because now media to us uh, right now is the internet, is the social media, the online TVs and others. And sometimes these places are usually, or people who have access to these things are usually the ones that are in less number than those who doesn't have access to these things. But because um, they are predominantly where people prefer, this is why we see this information being, you know, communicated uh, in this platform. But um, um, but then because less people have access to these platforms, and then because the rate of dissemination is also very low after receiving this uh, information, it, it becomes very difficult to reach some of the people who do not have access to the internet or some of the people who did not have access to these places I mentioned because it will require them, just as we were talking about when we we're starting off the uh, meeting, that um, how difficult it is to assess um, data, internet connectivity issues and all of that. So we begin to even imagine, let's just imagine that at that time that the information about that toxic waste, you know, that, that got to the Nigerian students in Italy then was communicated through printed books or research uh, papers that will usually not be affordable by most people at that time. We see that that would definitely affect the speed of dissemination of the information. And let's also not forget that the ritual of oral storytelling is still very much in place in most part of um, Africa. So it, it was what the media and the Nigerian students did that made people to understand that their lives were in danger and how it was also very crystal clear because they saw their friends and families who were dying from throat cancer. Paralyl, um, um, they were also having, I think they were also having issues of premature births and all that. So um, that's just the point I, I wanted to make to this on the basis of understanding the channel of communications and also understanding that around context or different geographies or locations, this could differ. And where we want a wider um, participation, we need to consider every form of channel every form of means that we could use, especially um, in relation to how effective it could be to getting that information. Um, I know that on Wikipedia or Wikimedia projects, we are doing, um, you know, what we could do. We are really doing a lot of work around that, around understanding that in terms of the language, we need to diversify that understanding that in terms of um, getting to so many places, we need to maybe use or work with local organizers and people who are from this area. But then in also doing that work, we also need to um, um, also talk about others who are also doing similar work to with us and how we can collaborate and cross-pollinate 
you know, and make our work more effective and ensuring that we um, fight um, the, the um, or solve the climate crisis. I would, say, I wouldn't say fight, but solve the climate but, crisis. Okay, okay, that's pretty much uh, awesome. In relating to um, the data that you provided, talking about and, the and, Yeah, and then one more thing, if you don't mind, I also wanted to point out. It, I think it was also similar to what happened when we had the first Earth Day observance in 1970, uh, when people came out to celebrate what we celebrate today as um, Earth Day in 1970. And at that time too, we also see how the channels of um, communication played a, a, a huge role. Because at that time too, it was a time they were experiencing um, um, I think issues of um, oil spill, air pollution. And um, then there was also this book then uh, called The Silent Spring that was written by um, one um, um, Rachel Carlson then that was talking mostly about how harmful the use of pesticides were then and also about oil spills and air pollutions. And then they also had that incidence on um, Cuyahoga um, River, where you know the, there was fire on on that river. It was quite a lot around the environment that was happening at that point in time. And then, as at that point and time and that location, they also made sure to use all channels of communication that they feel that this is the ways that our people, we or people, we understand that something. Um, um, is wrong and that it's time for everybody to step up and take action. And then not to also mention that the said action was not an action of one country or one community, but an action that was taken by about 190 countries. And that is also where the collaboration I'm talking about comes in because this is something that we have to realize that is the work of everybody. It's not just, for example, the work of one open movement who is into maybe solving um, climate change, um, disinformation or misinformation or trying to, you know, create more awareness around what the problem looks like and what kind of solutions we can use um, around them. And then there was also recent, um, uh, I think available records have shown that People who are born in this time would definitely have to live in hotter climate than those who were born in the past. Like maybe when we were still uh, teenagers or kids, when we were still growing up, at least I, I can uh, speak of myself then. I remember that, you know, the, the, the degree of the hotness I knew then compared to now is way different. And then as of that time, the hotness I will experience in, in certain places are only specific to them and not to everywhere in my country. But now there are some places that, uh, that was once not like that, that we can't even remember again that these places we are once, you know, warmer places or colder places. It's just as if like everywhere is all the same in, in the level of hotness. 
So this is what I could just say a little bit to the data part you, you mentioned. So, wow, this, this is awesome concerning um, data shared so far, talking about hotness and coldness in various um, parts of Nigeria. Here in Ghana too, um, as you said, we are also kind of facing similar situations. As, as, as you said, you remember during the time you were growing up, you know, there were places that used to be uh, very hot and places that used to be very cold. Now you can't even compare or disassociate the two, like as in where, where it's hot, where it's cold, you know, right. because of issues related to climate, we are like, we are all kind of on the same levels. As a result of this, I believe this has also affected our rainfalls and other stuff. Right. Okay, so um, let's, let's, move, let's move to the next question. And I'd like to know, um, you know, do you think having open communities is the best way to go in relation to climate activities in order uh, to solve issues that are arising? Yes, a huge yes, because for, for instance, um, when we have this information, you know, available in the open space, people begin to understand that these stories we are saying, these stories we are telling are not fairy tales. They are very real. For example, let me give you an example, maybe using Ghana, for example, since you're in Ghana. Let's say that we keep talking about this climate crisis. And then every time you get on the digital space, you keep seeing things, um, maybe occurrences only in Nigeria, in the US or Europe or any other place, but there is no single place you will see that Ghana is involved. Do you think you will ever believe that this is a problem to you? No. You, you will see that, that this, is, this is not my problem because people are you know, moved to action when they know that something you know, that the value is at stake. And if, for example, you don't move in there and see that, for example, somewhere in Accra, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, that somewhere yeah, in Accra, Ghana, yeah, that this thing is happening there, then that is the only time you're convinced that, yes, we are also in this together. And there is a reason to take action because Having all these stories, information, data, or knowledge out there is the only thing that will help us to understand where are the similarities and where are the differences, what is working and what is not working. And until we begin to see this clearly, we can never come up with the right solutions to solve these things. Because sometimes um, having that information about a particular issue and how it happens or happened can help us to really prepare um, in advance when again it happens in the future because we've had a similar experience of you know it's happening before and all of that. Take for example the issue of COVID that happened. It was because it was the very first time we were experiencing all of this and it was very strange to people. But then with everything that have been garnered now, knowledge and otherwise, if it's to happen again in the future, I'm very sure that the effect will not be as deep as it was this time because 
the information and knowledge we must have built will really help us to, you know, prepare for the um, the problem if it comes out again in the future. So yes, I think this is very, very important. That's, that's awesome. Concerning the way you explain it, that, 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 that information or data is available and not to use it when any form of um, breakout or any, for, any form of viruses that comes about. But I'd like to find out, you know, in the case of COVID, let's see right now we have, let's see right now, let's say right now we have, um, um, we have the cure for COVID and God forbid, um, in, the, in the next hundred years, another um, virus or another pandemic appears. Um, do you think that uh, the knowledge, the knowledge available, because I, there should be a situation whereby no matter what uh, comes about, at least then from the knowledge that we've gathered so far concerning um, health and diseases, uh, solving of problems that are related to diseases and viruses, we could um, depend on those data that is available in order to solve certain um, diseases that we've not seen before. Because it shouldn't be that we've not seen certain things before and when it happens, we want to be, we actually, we need to kind of, um, kind of plan for all those things that happen. Do you think that um, that could be possible? Yes, it is really because um, even though that maybe when we happen to see it again, it might come in another variant. But the okay. thing is that sometimes it's even the fear alone that creates the, 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 the disease more than the, the virus itself. Because at that time, people are already with this knowledge. This is not something new. This is what we okay. have seen before. And this is also what we have learned what worked and what doesn't work. At that point, you see that you are not even going to invest too much work in trying to create awareness because the awareness has already been created. People already know, for example, if we don't do this, this is what will happen. And people already know that, okay, maybe this time this is what we used and it worked. What other thing didn't we explore before that we can explore now? to also fight this particular thing. And also, let's also not forget, like we just mentioned, 100 years. It also means that a lot of people who witnessed it then might not all be around. And this is also yeah. why that information being open, which speaks to accessibility, is very important okay. because they also need to be there for the newer generation to assess it and see how particular problem when it happens. Okay, that's that's awesome for that deep explanation. So where do we go from here, Euphemia, as a community? Where do we go from here? Um, I think <laughs> first I'm gonna say that if we don't like the answers we are getting from the questions we are asking, I think it's time we change those questions in order to get the answers we are looking for. If the strategies we are also using are not working effectively, I think it's time to sit down and ask ourselves, what do we really want to see happen? And also be um, um, very truthful about it because sometimes the, 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 the issue is not that people are not aware of this climate crisis. 
but it's just that in some certain context is nearly an impossible um, venture, especially in the global south of Africa, where we see that some of the things that um, we have to do to maybe solve this crisis interlinks with the daily needs of people. You understand? So um, yeah. what I will have to say is that maybe it's time we, 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 we start thinking of how we can build more capacity, more support systems in the areas, in the locations where we need to see that change happening more and fast. And if we're talking about the rural communities, we need to be prepared on how to accept both their context and culture in ensuring that the resource we will need from those kind of places are what we will get. We need to understand or accept that the way we are going to solve it in maybe in um, Asia is going to be very different from the way we're going to solve it in Africa or the way we're going to solve it in the US is going to be very different from the way we're going to solve it in Africa. And leveraging the, um, our resources, such as our human resources, local organizers, grassroots, to understand further how we can really ensure that everyone is participating in ways they should in solving this climate crisis. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, community would like to know, or my audience would like to know, is there any final words for them or any final food of thought for them before we end this awesome podcast? Collaboration is just one key word I want to drop for everybody because we need to start seeing this as, you know, something that requires everyone to get on board. Something that is not the work of some specific um, people to do and something that will also require us to sit down and understand where the lapses are and where the work we are doing can fit in. Understanding that we are not doing this so that at the end of the day, we're gonna be uh, awarded uh, a medal or something, but we are doing this so that we can save not just ourselves, but the future generations. Yeah, thank you. Oh. Well, that's, that's pretty much awesome concerning your food of thought to the community, the general public, and participants of my audience on this episode of Weekly Updates. Euphemia, I'd like to say thank you very much for joining this episode of Weekly Updates. And I'll be looking forward to seeing you probably in the future episode once again, talking about maybe things related to the movement and other stuff. Thank you so much, Jess. It was nice being on the podcast and meeting you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. What an interesting discussion and an engaging conversation with Euphemia. I was inspired. I believe you guys were also inspired. My takeaway from this discussion was collaboration. We need to collaborate in order to ensure that we solve climate-related activities in our space and beyond our space. I believe you guys have also taken a thing or two concerning whatever we discussed and you surely hit to some of them. 
conversations and advice Euphemia gave in this podcast. I'd like to say thank you guys for taking time to listen to this amazing podcast with Euphemia. I'll be looking forward to see you guys in future episodes. Thank you very much. Take care and bye-bye. Thank you.